Peace be upon you. So in 2002, Rogers Communication, a Canadian telecommunications company, uh, went into a contract with Bell Alliant to access its power poles at an annual rate of $9.60 per pole. Now, Rogers intended to use these poles uh, to lay down some cable lines. The challenge was that these poles, some of them, were actually owned by a separate company called New Brunswick Power. And two years after this contract was signed between Rogers and Bell Alliant, New Brunswick Power told Alliant that they're increasing their cost of the poles to $18.91 per pole. Now, this obviously put Alliant in a bind because now they're leasing these poles for half the price of what they're being charged to Rogers Communication. Now, naturally, Alliant wanted to get out of this contract. And so in January 31st, 2005, roughly three years later, they sent a uh, termination notice to Rogers telling them that in one year time, they're terminating this contract. And uh, Rogers naturally was upset and they took uh, Bell Alliant to court. And the court spent time looking at one specific sentence in this contract. And the sentence read, This agreement shall be effective from the date it is made and shall continue in force for a period of five years from the date it is made. And thereafter for successive five-year terms, comma, unless and until terminated by one year prior notice in writing by either party. Now there's two ways you can read this contract. The first way is how Rogers was reading it. They believed that Alliant had to live up to their portion of the agreement for a minimum of five years before they could terminate this contract with a year notice. Alliant was saying the opposite. They said because of this comma that it says that unless and until terminated by one year prior notice in writing by either party, this entitled them to cancel the contract at any period as long as they gave a one-year notice. Now, originally, the courts, they sided with Alliant. They said, look, it's open-ended. It's not uh, discreet that uh, Alliant has to live up to their uh, five years before they can give this uh, termination notice. And they sided with Alliant. Then, a year later, they reversed their decision. And the reason they reversed their decision has to do with something very specific. So it just happens that these are Canadian companies. And in Canada, they have two forms of contract, one in English and one in French. This whole time, they were looking at the contract in English with this ambiguity. But then when they looked at the contract in French, what they saw was that this ambiguity didn't exist. And because of that, they sided with Rogers and they said that Alliant was at false for breach of contract before they were allowed to do so. And this is the key advantage of having a contract or any important document in multiple languages. Sometimes in one language, the document can be ambiguous, can be multi-meaning. But when you look at that same document, that same sentence in a different language, all of a sudden these multi-meanings, this ambiguity goes away. And the Quran is no different. God tells us in the Quran that the Quran needs to be translated. God tells us that this is a message to the world. And this Quran is our messenger. 
And God tells us in the Quran that every messenger comes to preach in the tongue of its people. This is all indicative that we are to translate the Quran. In Surah 26, verse 198 through 200, it reads, If we revealed this to people who do not know Arabic and had him recite it in Arabic, they could not possibly believe in it. We thus render it like a foreign language in the hearts of the guilty. God is telling us something that's common sense. That is, if we're informing something in a language they don't understand, then the warnings are meaningless. They're, they serve no purpose. If I was giving you this, this uh, podcast in Cantonese, in Spanish, and you didn't understand these languages, then you would just be hearing gibberish. Nothing of substance you'd be able to pull from this. And God, again, it's informing us that it's important that when we read the Quran, we read it in a language we understand, that we're not like parrots just mimicking what the sounds we hear, that we actually understand the context of what's being said. In Surah 41, verse 44, it reads, If we made it a non-Arabic Quran, they would have said, Why did it come down in that language? Whether it is Arabic or non-Arabic, say, for those who believe it is a guide in healing. So God is informing us whether the Quran is in Arabic or non-Arabic. This indicates that, again, God knew that the Quran not only will be, but it should be translated in languages for people to understand. Now, the typical pushback most people give is they say, oh, you can't fully translate the Quran, that, you know, when you do that, you lose meaning and you have to learn the Arabic. Now, this is true to some extent, but the core of the Quran can easily be translated. And what I'm going to uh, discuss is not only does this benefit uh, the individuals in these different languages, but individuals who are studying the Quran in Arabic, it benefits them by looking at the translations. Because sometimes in the Arabic Quran, the meanings might be multi-meaning. It might be ambiguous. But when you see it in the translation, these meanings become very clear and understandable. And one of the best verses that actually describes this point and provides this example is in Surah 3, verse 7. This verse reads, He sent down to you this scripture containing straightforward verses, which constitute the essence of the scripture, as well as multiple meaning or allegorical verses. Those who harbor doubts in their hearts will pursue the multiple meaning verses to create confusion and to extricate a certain meaning. None knows the true meaning thereof except God and those well-founded in knowledge. They say, we believe in this. All of it comes from our Lord. Only those who possess intelligence will take heed. So God is informing us that he's fully aware that the essence of this Quran, the foundation of this Quran is straightforward. It's easy to understand. But there are some words, some meanings, some connotations that are intentionally multi-meaning. And that those who have perversity in their hearts, those who are trying to extricate a certain understanding to create strife, that they're going to pursue those multiple meaning verses. Now what's interesting is in this verse alone, there is a certain element that when you read the Arabic, it's actually a little ambiguous. And this has to do with the phrase where it says, none knows the true meaning thereof except God and those well-founded in knowledge. Now, there's two ways someone can understand this meaning when they're reading it in Arabic. 
And this depends on where you put the period. One interpretation when you read the Arabic is none knows the interpretation except God, period. And it says, and those well-founded in knowledge, they will say. So in this understanding, it's saying that only God knows the, uh, the interpretation and no one else. And that those well-founded in knowledge, they will say. The other way that this verse can be understood is that none knows the interpretation except God and those well-founded in knowledge, period. Which one is it? Again, if you read the Arabic, it's ambiguous. But when you read the English, you can determine that the period comes after and those well-founded in knowledge. And the reason for this is because it says, if you were to understand it, that none knows the true meaning except God, does that mean that God's messenger didn't know the meaning of these verses? Obviously, God reveals his information, his knowledge to whomever he chooses. And one of these individuals that was given this information was the messenger. So to say that none knows the true meaning uh, thereof except God would be an inaccurate statement. And the, the actual statement is none knows the true meaning except God and those well-founded in knowledge. So you see that in the translation, this distinction becomes more apparent. And this helps individuals who might only be reading the Arabic. Another example of how the English translation can help us better understand the Arabic is in the example of Surah 2 verse 54. Now in Arabic, the word nafs has typically one of three meanings. You could mean the soul, the self, or the ego. Now, if you don't distinguish between these three, you can understand how this can create some confusion. So in Surah 2 verse 54, it reads, Recall that Moses said to his people, O my people, you have wronged your souls by worshiping the calf. You must repent to your creator. You shall kill your egos. This is better for you in the sight of your creator. He did redeem you. He is the redeemer most merciful. Now, this word that's used twice in this word verse is anafsakum. Anafsakum, again, you could understand that to mean your souls, yourself, or your ego. Now, if you were to understand that this verse was your souls or yourself in both instances, then you would interpret the verse to say, Oh, my people, you have wronged your souls by worshiping the calf. You must repent to your creator. You shall kill yourselves. Now, obviously, this does not resonate with the rest of the themes of the Quran. And you'll see even some translations, they will try to jump through hoops to make logical sense of this. But when you distinguish between yourselves and your ego, then this verse becomes clear to what is being stated. Again, it says, recall that Moses said to his people, O my people, you have wronged your souls, anafsakum, by worshiping the calf. You must repent to your creator, you shall kill your egos, anafsakum, same word. But obviously, one is in the context of the individual, one is the other is in the context of our egos. Now, an individual can read this verse in Arabic and think that it's informing them to kill themselves. This ambiguity can easily be cleared up with a simple English translation, where we distinguish again between the self and the ego. The reason for this translation is obvious for the following reasons. In Surah 7 verse 28, we read that God never advocates sin. If God was telling us to kill ourselves, he would be advocating sin. Secondly, God prohibits suicide. 
In Surah 4 verse 29, it's a commandment that we are not allowed to take our own lives. Additionally, God prohibits ever being an aggressor because some people, they interpret this, they say when it says, oh, kill yourselves, it means kill your people, uh, as in the ones who are worshiping the calf. But God in Surah 2 verse 190 and 193 tells us that we are never allowed to be an aggressor. The fourth reason is God advocates the freedom of religion. If someone willingly wants to worship a calf, there's nothing we can do to stop that individual from doing so. The most we can do is disassociate ourselves from them. In Surah 2 verse 256, God tells us that there's no compulsion in religion. In Surah 2 verse 190, God tells us that oppression is worse than murder. So there's no way that God would be advocating for us to kill ourselves or to kill for Moses and the believers to kill the uh, those who are worshiping the calf. And ultimately, we know that the reason we get sent astray is because of our egos. And this is apparent in Surah 2 verse 87. And it reads, We gave Moses the scripture and subsequent to him, we sent other messengers and we gave Jesus the son of Mary profound miracles and supported him with the Holy Spirit. Is it not a fact that every time a messenger went to you with anything you disliked, your ego, anafsakum, caused you to be arrogant? Some of them you rejected and some of them you killed. So God is reprimanding individuals who rejected and killed the prophets and messengers. And it's saying it's their egos that caused them to go astray. Another example of how the English translation can actually help individuals who are studying the Arabic Quran better understand the Arabic is in the context of the ablution, wudu. In the Quran, in Surah 5 verse 6, God informs us that the ablution is four steps. The first step is wash your faces. The second step is to wash your arms to the elbows. The third step is to wipe your head. And the last step is where the debate comes in. The correct translation is to wash your feet. But some individuals, they say no, the, uh, the wiping of the head, it corresponds also with the wiping of the feet. And they say that one must wipe their feet. But if you study the Arabic grammar, you see that the expression for and your feet is wa'arju lakum. And notice that this is lakum with a fata on top of the lam as opposed to likum. If this was likum with a kasra below the lam, then this would be in conjunction to the wiping. And it's this slight delta that distinguishes between wiping one's feet and washing one's feet. And this might be overlooked in the Arabic. But again, in the English, it becomes very clear. This is part of the blessing of having the Quran in multiple languages. That these subtleties sometimes that are hard to observe in the Arabic become apparent in the uh, translation. And I want to show one last example. And interestingly enough, this has to do with the verse which informs the believers the single criteria that's necessary in understanding God's scripture. In Surah 56 verse 77 it reads, This is an honorable Quran and a protected book. None can grasp it except the sincere. This word in Arabic for sincere, al-mutaharuna, this has two meanings. One meaning is to be physically clean. And we see this used in Surah 2 verse 222. 
This root is used three times. It says they ask you about menstruation. Say, it is harmful. You shall avoid sexual intercourse with the women during menstruation. Do not approach them until they are rid of it. And this word for rid of it is yataruna, which is the same root until they are clean, purified from it. Once they are again rid of it, they are clean, purified, tataruna, uh, you may have intercourse with them in the manner designed by God. God loves the repenters. He loves those who are clean. Al-Mu'tah-Tahirin. So this word, it has this meaning of being clean. Now, if someone was to read Surah 56, verse 79, says, none can grasp it except those who are clean. Someone might understand this to mean that they have to be clean in order to be able to touch the Quran. And they might go so far as to say that women who are menstruating, God is saying that they are not clean until they are rid of it, that they should not be allowed to touch the Quran. And sadly, you see many cultures uphold this ideology. Now, interesting enough, this word has another meaning, and it means to be spiritually clean. We see this used in Surah 9, verse 108. It says, You shall never pray in such a masjid, a masjid that is established on the basis of righteousness from the first day is more worthy of your praying therein. In it, there are people who love to be purified. God loves those who purify themselves. So we see the same word used twice in this verse. But obviously, this does not mean to be physically clean. This is talking about spiritual cleansliness. So when we translate Surah 56, verse 79, we translate it as none can grasp it except the sincere. Because it is only the sincere who can understand the Quran. And this is, again, it's common sense when you think about it. Obviously, this is not, if you read the, the, the Arabic, uh, this is not a commandment. God is not saying, do not touch the Quran unless you are clean. God is stating a fact. And because of that, we know that there's plenty of people out there who are not clean, who are touching the Quran. They've done for probably the last 1400 years and they will continue doing it into the future. So obviously God is not making an erroneous statement that if someone believes that none can touch this Quran unless they are clean, that this is a statement of fact, meaning that no one who's ever had their period was able to touch the Quran during that uh, time. And we know that this is an absurd statement. So naturally, the understanding of this verse is that only those who are spiritually clean are able to access this Quran. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't need the Arabic Quran. By God's leave, there's so many blessings, so many advantages of understanding the Arabic Quran. God willing, next week, uh, I'll, I'll discuss some of those. But it's to show us that having this translation having an authorized English translation, the blessing we have for being able to, uh, to have access to that, to be able to better understand the Arabic Quran through a translation is a huge blessing from God. And this is not only for those who don't speak Arabic. This is a blessing for even those who speak Arabic. Because again, some of these subtleties, some of these multi-meaning uh, verses and words that are in the Arabic, that once we translate them and we apply it to the Quran to eliminate any contradictions, it enriches our understanding of the Quran. God willing, I highly recommend 
for anyone who wants to get a deeper understanding of the Quran to download the Quran study app. Um, I recently did a large update, and this was the reason that I was out of commission for the last couple months, was uh, I spent a lot of time on it, uh, color coding the uh, translation to help people understand why the words are translated the way they are. And then afterwards, I just honestly, I was just a little burned out. And uh, God willing, want to get back into the, uh, the the podcast and try to get a regular uh, cadence. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to in the same uh, uh, capacity I did before with weekly updates. But God willing, I'm going to try to be a little more uh, proficient in it. And uh, if you guys are interested, please check out the uh, Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. And uh, check out the uh, full verse translation uh, done by Rashad Khalifa, which is called the Authorized English Translation. And uh, my word-for-word translation of the Arabic to, again, help get a richer, deeper understanding of the words of the Quran. And uh, God willing, in the next episode, I'll show so many examples to why the benefit of learning the Arabic in enriching one's understanding of the Quran. Until next time, peace and God bless.